Hey, Chapel, how are you? So on behalf of the founder and the president of Convoy of Hope, Hal Donaldson wants me to say thank you for what you have done. Because of your help and others like you, we have already distributed in Fort Myers and the surrounding area 1.5 million pounds of supplies and water. And Yeah. We have, we have serviced, we have, we have, we have helped over 90,000 people, and we have been able to go into 21 communities with 1,200 volunteers. So thank you so much for your involvement. I, I just also want to just say that the video interruption is not, not uncommon, because anytime I'm with Pastor Brandon, he, just, he interrupts me. <laughs> and so just, it's just the way it is. <laughs> Wow, I pulled up here, and you guys are tearing up the place. So cool. This worship was tearing up the place tonight. Yeah. In fact, you're so tearing it up, the poor cello guy only has two-thirds of a cello. I'm so glad to be with you. Do you ever get in the place where and you just heard the, the, the theme, help us on the way, when you got to a spot where your, your resources ran out or the diagnosis wasn't good or it's just not happening for you and you don't have the ability within yourself and you really need help. So about four years ago, my, my wife was... Um, was coming home from Kansas City. She had been taking care of uh, two of our grandkids for about three days, and anybody who has grandkids know what grandkids will do to you if you spend three days with them. <laughs> they will absolutely wear you out. And she was on her way back from, from Kansas City to Springfield, Missouri. And on the way there, she put the car on, uh, on speed control, 70 miles per hour. It's a state highway, two lanes one way, two lanes the other way, big grass median in between, and, and roads that go across as people are trying to get around. She was worn out. She was getting a cold. She didn't feel good. And about six miles from home, she fell asleep at 70 miles per hour. She cut through the median, hit a sign. The sign can't open the top of the, of the car. And then it hit a culvert from the road going across and flipped in the air and flipped on the ground a couple of times and landed on all four tires. And Pam came to because she had been asleep the whole time and, and she thought something's happened. I don't know what it is. It, it, the word for that is an enigma. Enigma is when something mysterious happened and you don't know what, how you got in it and how you're getting out of it. And so she had the presence enough that she, she reached over and turned the key off. And then she thought, I wonder if I'm cut because I see glass everywhere. And she reached up to pull down the visor and, and look in the mirror. And there was nothing there. It was gone. A lady ran up to the car, an off-duty nurse. And, she, and Pam was able to open the door. And the, the lady looked at her and said, I didn't think I was going to find anybody alive in this vehicle. Fire trucks arrived, the ambulance came, they loaded her up. I was in Phoenix, Arizona at the time. She called me and said, I'm in an ambulance. And I said, and I was thinking it was my 88-year-old mother who was in the ambulance with her. And she said, no, it's me. And then she told me. I said, are you okay? She said, well, I think I am, but they're going to they're gonna check on me. And so they kept her in the hospital for three days to study what happened and what 
what injury she had. And so I tell you tonight that, that in three days they determined there was no head trauma, no neck trauma, no broken bones, no bruises, no cuts. In, in fact, because she was asleep, she has no psychological trauma because she never saw it happen. So if you're going to be in an accident, we recommend you sleep through it because it's a whole lot easier. So you got to understand my wife, when she, when she was talking to the nurse and the nurse said, you look okay, my wife is a picture fiend. She just, she takes pictures after picture after picture. So she grabbed her phone and said, here, take a picture. So that's the picture. And I looked at the picture and I began to cry. So I think we have a second picture, a little bit closer up. You may not be able to read it, but the name of the responding fire company is Ebenezer. And the name Ebenezer in the scripture means this, thus far the Lord has been with us. So I began to weep because here's the deal. When things are out of control, when, when you feel that, that you, you can't go on without help, there is this one who knows how you got in it and knows how you're going to get out of it. This evening, I want to just share with you how that is possible. I think of little Jared, who was about four years old, five years old, and, and he, had one of the, he had a nightmare, and, and he awakened and was crying and, and was afraid because his dream just terrorized him. And you know that when you're four or five, you, you, you know that there are monsters under the bed. So he couldn't get out, but finally he ran out of the room into his parents' room. Mom and dad are asleep. He wakes up his dad and says, I had a bad dream, and he explains the dream. And the dad says, okay, now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray that Jesus takes care of that. And so they prayed, and then the dad said to Jared, he said, you go back to your room now and go to sleep. And he said, no, 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 I can't. He said, no, you go back because Jesus has heard us, and he'll be in bed with you. And Jared said to him, how about you go in and sleep with Jesus, and I'll sleep with Mommy. <laughs> When we have a crisis that terrorizes us, the only way we rest is when we know that someone hold, is holding us that is stronger than our fear. We need a presence stronger than our fear. So here's what Paul the Apostle wrote to the church of Corinth as they were dealing with some enigmas. He wrote to them and said, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is. You know, we read this over and over again, and here's what Paul said. He said, we look in a mirror dimly. We look, the actual word is, we look in an enigma. Things around us are confusing. We, we don't have a handle on this thing. We don't know how we got in it, and we're not sure how we're going to get out of it. And we wish we could go face-to-face -face with it and figure it out and get, get on with it, but we can't. Because we know a little bit about it, but we don't know the whole thing. And Paul says, that's the way life is for you right now, but I'm going to tell you. But in all of this, there is one who knows you. And he fully knows you, and he knows how you got in it, and he knows how you got out, you're going to get out of it. For thus far, the Lord has been with you. He 
He then goes on to, to make the statement. He says, I want to tell you that something amazing is happening because of your connection and relationship with Jesus. Paul, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus and he said these words. He said, we are, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So when you came into faith with Jesus, God began a work in you. A work that is, he's going to tear it up so that you can step it up. So here's what he said. He said, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. For you are God's workmanship. It means this, for you are God's fabric manufactured in Christ Jesus. He's going to change your heart, and when he does, he will put you in places, and you will be so aware of where you're needed and why you are there that you'll be able to respond with the fullness of knowing you have every resource you need to respond to that moment. So as you are working on a building and as you're working on reaching out to this community, understand that not only do you have to do those things, but God is now recreating a heart in you for this city and around the world, and you have to be ready to step up to meet what that heart demands. So here's what he says. He said the first thing to this, he's going to weave into you a presence stronger than your fears. So he was evil, he was abusive, he was violent, and the first time he met Jesus was on the day of his own execution. Because he was with Jesus who also was being executed by the Romans on that day. And while he is there, in this cacophony of sound, in, in this intense abuse, in this violence, and in the screaming of the crowd, he has an awareness that there is a presence around him that doesn't match the rest of the place. That presence has its own culture, its, its own place. And he has a decision to make, do I go with what I'm used to, or do I go with that presence? He wasn't baptized, but somehow he was immersed in a new presence. He hadn't followed Jesus, but somehow Jesus had followed him into the middle of his pain. He had cursed Jesus, but Jesus is about to bless him. And so he says to Jesus, in essence, here I am, here you are, and you're not like the rest of these people. You are totally different. So here's the deal. I choose you. I put my faith in you. And I will absorb who you are and trust that you will get me there. And Jesus said, well, today you're going to hang out with me and we're not going to be here very long because I got you and we're going to get out of this because I know how you got in, but I know how you're getting out. Why did he trust him? The psalmist said these words, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Break it down, the words are this, God is your refuge, God is your safe place. And he is your strength, enough strength to face what you have. In fact, the scripture says that he gives us more strength than we need for the opportunity that's in front of us. That if we will believe him by faith and absorb who he is, we will have the strength because he's an ever-present help, and that word ever-present means it's proven and never failed. That's what he has for us. So if you take that presence, and tonight we were absorbing who he is. That was great worship. Not just because the band was great, but you were great. If you take a sponge 
and you place it in a bucket of water and, and let it absorb the water. And then you pull it back out and you squeeze it. Do you get gasoline? Do you get lemon juice? What do you get? Water, because it's simply a law that says whatever you're soaking in, when it's squeezed, that's what you give out. So here's the deal. When Paul said that God has prepared you in advance for things uh, that you will walk into, he is saying this, that you don't get just to absorb Jesus, you have to give out Jesus. So as you soak in him, as you take time in his presence, as you read his, his words, which are his very breath that breathes into you, and you see someone who is in need, someone who needs help, you walk up next to them and say, I will walk with you through this. And as you walk with them through that, when the pressure begins to squeeze them and they give out fear because you're with them, you don't give out fear, you give out a presence that says you're safe. And suddenly they begin to say, well, wait, I like this. I'm going to lean on this thing because this thing's not doing me any good over here. And they begin to understand that they are held by a presence stronger than their fear. God says, I'm weaving that into your, into your heart. I'm taking my heart, weaving it into your heart, and I'm going to give you this faith. And by the way, these three things, this faith, hope, and love, those things don't have a vanishing point. So as I weave them in your heart and everything else in life dissolves, the things that remain are that faith and that hope and that love because they never go. They're there forever. He says, I'm also going to weave into you a future outlasting your pain. So the founder of Convoy of Hope, his name is Hal Donaldson. I think we have a picture of his family. So this is Hal in the front. He's the oldest. And then his parents and his siblings. And, and, and Hal and his siblings in the late 1960s were, were home with a babysitter because the parents had gone to a church business meeting because they were the pastors. About an hour into their departure, there was a knock at the door and there stood two uniformed policemen who had to tell them that the parents were hit by a drunk driver. And Hal's dad died. And his mother was critically injured and not sure she's going to make it. They brought him out to the porch. The police did, and the, and the neighbors had gathered, and they said, somebody's got to take the Donaldson kids for tonight, or we have to take them down to the station. And Bill and Levada Davis raised their hands and said, we'll take them. So they took them for the first night. And the second night... And the first week, and the second week, and the first month, and the second month, and the third month, and for an entire year, 10 people in a double-wide trailer, or in a single-wide trailer. The, the, the Davises began to, to spend their savings, and soon they had used all their savings. And then, then Bill began to work a, a second shift at the quarry, and, and Levada spent all day cleaning and cooking. And, and for the first time in his life... Hal understood poverty, and he was hurting deeply, and, and, and Bill gave him these great words. Bill said to him, don't let the tragedy of your childhood dictate your future, for where you have begun is not where you have to end up. And at that moment, like a word from the Lord, he said, I began to change my view. Because simply what hope is, hope is faith tilted forward. Hope is, if God is with me here, he will be with me over there. But you see, again, 
God does not give us hope just so that we can have hope. God gives us hope so that we can share that hope. And so Hal being encouraged began to, to achieve what he wanted to achieve and became a, a sports writer, a successful sports writer and author and went to Calcutta, India to write a book and the people he was writing the book about said, we want you to meet someone and so they introduced him to Mother Teresa. And while he was interviewing Mother Teresa, she interviewed him. And she said, Hal, what are you doing for the poor and suffering? And he said, I've pretty well figured you can't lie to Mother Teresa. <laughs> so he said, I'm doing nothing. And she said, Hal, everybody can do something. Just go do the next kind thing God puts in front of you. You may not be able to feed one, a thousand or a hundred. You can feed one. Hal went back home, grabbed his brothers, filled up their pickup truck, and began to feed the migrant workers in Northern California. And what started with three men in a truck in 1995, as of last year, have, have served over 200 million people. <clears throat> Simply, sometimes you get hope before you get God. Because when you walk with me and I'm hurting deeply and you walk with me and you keep telling me we're going to make it, we're going to make it, and, and you haven't given up on me, and, and even though I may have not been a nice person to hang out with, you're still hanging out with me because there's just something different about you. There's this presence, and we're walking together, and I'm feeling that. It starts to give me hope, and then I want to know, what is this presence I feel? Paul said there is one other piece that God infuses in you, and, and he... And he weaves into you, and that is a heart eclipsing our plans. He says, I'm going to do something to your heart. And you've got to really recognize this. So I love what we sang tonight. Isaiah has this vision of the Lord on his throne, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's an antiphonal chant. They say it over here. The this side over here says it back, and it's so thunderous that the, 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 the walls are shaking, and, and there's these elders, these, these great men of God who are, are before, they're kneeling before him, and here's what they're doing. They're looking at him saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The word holy means other. It means this. Oh, I've never seen that before. That if we live, physicists say, probably maybe 10, 11 dimensions, and God goes way beyond that, and he fills each of them. Can you imagine what they're seeing? They're going, I've never seen this thing, and they're in awe, and it's so much that they just put their heads back down. And then... At the same time, they fear what they've seen. They're attracted to what they've seen. So they raise their heads again. And this time they say, other, 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 other. This is different than I just saw. This is so incredible. And that every time they look up, there is a new dimension of God they've never seen before. Now take the greatest ecstasy you've ever felt and multiply by millions and millions of times. And you begin to begin to feel a little bit of what they're sensing. And, it's, and the scripture says they'll do that forever and ever. And you say, well, that sounds boring. No, 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 no. No, 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 because eternity only begins to give you the ability and the time to begin to understand the dimensions of God. So Isaiah says, this is too much for me because I am just a sinful man. I'm a weak man. I'm, I'm, I'm a man with, with faults. And an angel comes and says, God wants to cleanse you, and he touches his lips. 
and cleanses him. And we know this from Scripture. And it's just not the mouth because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jeremiah explained what God was going to do to us. He said, God's going to take your heart of stone, that hardness against God and other people, and he's going to soften it up so that you feel for God and you feel for other people. And that is built inside of you at this moment. So what do we do with that? You know, one of the things I pastored for over 40 years and being kind to people and loving people and doing that stuff is just part of the routine that I had. You got to do that. Especially if you want a church to be good, you got you to at least try to do that. So I don't pastor anymore. <laughs> and I got to tell you that God's been taking Pam and me on a path of faith. You know, after Pam was in that accident, a year later she was in another accident. And only in Missouri can this happen. The car she was riding in was hit by a flying bass boat. There was a trailer calling a, a bass boat, and it got hit from behind. It torqued the trailer, and the, it came whipping across, went right up the, the car, and if it had gone another angle, it would have decapitated everybody in the car, but instead it just totaled the car. So for a year, Pam had immense pain, and we had to say, okay, God, you are still with us on this path. You're still with us. We're going to trust your faith. Because the scripture says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. He said, take your emotions and your intellect and your decision making and yield it to God and say, I'm going to trust you for this. And then he says this, I will make your path smooth. I will make your path pleasurable. I'll make your path straight. I will, I will make it so that it's where you need to get. And I said to God during that time, hey, God, path's not that smooth. And just before COVID hit, Pam got diagnosed with cancer. So we have that path. So I'm going to tell you this, that sometimes the path is not smooth, but God is. He's your shock absorber. He will walk you through it. So that as you walk with people, you say, come on, I'm going to walk with you. I'll, I'll be God's voice for you. And I'm going to get you through this thing. So as we have this heart within us, as we are there, one of the things that I've been learning is this. If I'm going to live the way that God designed, and I need to step up in the way that he designed for me to be with those three things within my heart, faith, hope, and love, then I can't miss the moment. See, following Jesus is just not Wednesday night, first Wednesday and Sunday morning. And it's not building a big sanctuary, and it's, it's not your youth group, and it's not your small group. It's tomorrow, sometime during the day, when your heart says, uh-oh, right there, this thing. So having been a pastor for a long time, I'm very cynical of people who say they need money. Because churches are the first place people go to rip us off. So I was walking into a convenience store about six weeks ago, and there's a guy sitting there who obviously is homeless, and he, he has two dogs. And the Spirit of God inside of me says, help that guy. And I started to say, but what? And God said, my job to figure it out. Yours to do what my heart tells you to do. So I walked up. I said, hey, obviously you're hungry. He said, yeah. I said, what would you like? He said, get me anything. I said, what about the dogs? He said, they'll eat what I eat. I went in, brought out bags of groceries, gave them to him, and I walked off. And he said, well, what happened? 
I'm pretty figured to figure out that he probably ate it. That's all I know. But God says, that's what I want my heart to do through you. Don't miss the moment. I was standing in a line in Springfield Airport in United Airlines, and, there was, and we were already late, and one person, one lady, one really old lady was standing there. And she, instead of just getting people through the line, which is really long now, and the plane's going to take off, she is asking about, how's your kids? And how was work this week? And, and I'm thinking, lady, lady. <laughs> and this, this young family stands, comes up, and they have kids. And she says, okay, that will be 40 bucks for each bag. And they rolled out cash, and she says, we don't take cash. He said, well, we only have cash. She said, well, maybe some people back here will use their credit card and you can pay them. Now, my mind says, out of the line. My mind says, I'm on convoy business and I can't use my card for that. Finally, some guy in the back says, I'll get it for him. And while he's doing that, God's spirit said to me, what is your problem? You just missed a moment. Don't miss the moment. I went, I went to a family reunion and, and, uh, several years back, and we met together in California in Berkeley and went to the Ber- Berkeley Marina to go deep-sea fishing. Now, they said, you must be on time, in the boat, no refunds, and we'll leave without you. So we're walking down. We're running behind anyhow because there's always somebody in the group that gets you behind. And you even have to be nice to them according to Jesus, but you don't want to be. So we're walking down a pier, really hurrying, and we go this way, this way, this way, and then we're coming down this long pier, and we see two guys at the end of the pier, this pier, and they're fighting. And one guy smacks the other guy in the face, and he falls into the Oakland, into the bay, which is extremely cold. And this guy has on a really heavy sweater. And it's about a four to five foot drop down into the water. No way he's getting out of there. We run over to see him, and he's dead in the water, and we know if we help him, we get no fishing trip. I look around to see if anybody else is coming. (laughs) Oh, Lord, send that person now. (laughs) We pull him out, and okay, that goes, the trip's gone. We walk down to the other end of the pier where the boat is, and it's still there. So that's great. We get on the boat. We're not going anywhere. I'm figuring, we're here, let's go. And we see this guy running down the the pier toward the boat, and someone says, that's the captain. The guy we pulled out of the water. (laughs) So here's the story. The person you help might be the very person that God sent to get you to where you need to go. So... Pam and I started a church in Boise, Idaho, several years back. And after about a couple months, a girl joined us. Her name was Cindy. I thought she was a single mom. One day, Cindy came up and she said, hey, Jack, can, can you go visit my husband? I said, well, yeah, where is he? She said, he's in the Idaho State Penitentiary. I said, you want me to go to prison? 
I'm not a prison kind of guy. I don't even have a tattoo. (laughs) And the heart inside that God created with faith, hope, and love said, you go. I'll walk you there. So I went in and I met with Keith in the chapel and we talked about his life and he's hardened. He's not sure how he feels about Jesus or God. He's had a horrible, abusive life. And so I go see him every month. And just before we left Boise, Idaho to go and work in a church in Oregon, Keith got out. And so I said, hey, meet me at the Burger King and let's talk. So he told me about all the things he faced and the fact that it'd be tough to get around with, with, with public transportation and try to get everything that he needs so that he can get a job. And it's, it's, it's going to be challenging. And, and while we're sitting there, that heart speaks up. And the heart says, give him your car. I said, if this is God, I want to talk to Holy Spirit because this is... <laughs> This is not right. (laughs) This is the car that we were going to sell when we got to Oregon to get a new car. How am I going to get a car? So I thought, I'll go home, tell Pam, and she'll say, you're nuts. I went home, I told Pam, she said, do it. I said, you're not even any better than God. What's your problem? So I called up Keith. We met together. I said, I'm giving you my car. Why? He said, because God wants you to have it. I signed it over to him, and we were gone from Boise a couple of years, and we got a call from Cindy. She said, you don't know what's going on, but here's the deal. Keith was arrested for a double homicide, and they convicted him, and they're going to put him to death the beginning of next year. And he wants you to come and be a spiritual advisor and walk him through his execution. So nobody trains you for that. And this heart inside of me said, you don't know how to do this, but I do, so you're going. So in November, before the beginning of the year, I met him, and he was behind the glass. He had a phone, I had a phone, and he was telling me about how he had blamed everybody for his rotten life. And he said, one day I was just talking to Jesus, and he's showed me all that I had done, like a video screen, and he said, these are all your decision. And he said, so I guess I'm responsible. And I said, yeah, but you can ask forgiveness. Because if you confess, he is faithful and just to forgive you. So Keith did. So I ended up, Pam and I went, and she was going to spend time with the family. I spent time with Keith. I went into the prison, and this time it wasn't behind glass. They took me into death row, and they put me in his cell. It was good to see Keith, but in my mind, I'm thinking, God, he better be rehabilitated by now because he's got nothing to lose, and I do. <laughs> so we talked. We talked about his life. We talked about Jesus and, and the things that he, he wanted to see accomplished before he died, and those things were impossible, but I will tell you that they happened. So the next night, I got into his, his cell on Tuesday night. He's going to be He's going to be executed Wednesday morning at at midnight, 12 a.m. So we're walking through all of this stuff, and I I said, Keith, have have you you ever had communion like we did tonight? He said, no. 
I said, here's what it is. He said, well, I like that. And I, so we said to the guard, can you get us something? We need, we need a cracker and juice. And in a few moments, he showed up with grape snapple and a dinner roll. And Keith had his first communion. Keith was really angry at the victim's families. And, and that's just the weirdness of that kind of a corrupt mind. And we were talking. He said, you know, I probably should ask forgiveness. I said, good one. So I was able to get a phone. We called out to a news anchor in Boise, Idaho, who was a believer and a friend. And I said, this is Keith Wells. You need to talk to him. And Keith said, will you tell them, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. And about quarter till they came and got Keith and we walked down these hallways and out a door into a trailer and they brought him into this one room and they hooked him up onto a gurney and put IVs in him. And then we just talked and the warden had told me to keep him really peaceful or they would just knock him unconscious and, and go for it without giving him an opportunity to even say anything. And So all is going well and about midnight the warden walks over and says, hey, Sandra Day O'Connor and the Supreme Court are meeting together by phone to see if they will stay the execution. So keep him, keep him calm. So we talked about fishing and we talked about hunting and we talked about his family. We talked about the 23rd Psalm and then they walked up and said, okay, you need to go back here behind this glass with the witnesses. So I went back there and got in that position and then they, the warden read the edict of execution. And then he said to Keith, do you have any last words? Now, Keith told me the night before, I said, what are you going to do when they ask you your last words? He said, I'm going to flip him the bird. I said, no, no, no. Let's, let's talk this through. Keith, do you have any last words? And these are the words he said. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And Keith died. We had a funeral for him the next day in an undisclosed location, and a couple days on the, uh, on, after that on the way home, I turned to Pam after I began to try to process what had happened. I said, Pam, I've really tried to find out who I am and what I should be and, 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 and what, my, what my life focus should be. And I think I got it. It's just to love people and walk them from death to life. And to be honest... I could die today knowing that I did what I was called to do. Because the person you help may be the person who takes you to where you need to go. So a week later, a week later, or two weeks later, Cindy called and we talked about things. And then she said, do you know why Keith asked you to walk him through that? I said, I don't know. She said, because you gave him a car. Because your kindness and God's love made him feel at peace and gave him hope. And that is why. What if I had missed the moment? So can I say to you, will you tonight, in the best way you can, just go do the next kind thing that God puts in front of you? 
because you will not achieve what you think your design for this city and the world will be unless you can do the things that you need to do other than Sundays and Wednesdays. You've got to be open every day to say, my heart is open. And when the heart says that person, you say, I don't know if I have the resources. God has the resources. You go and let them know that help is on the way and it will change this community. Just go do the next kind thing God puts in front of you. God bless you.